0: Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please, contribute generously to Future Primitive. My friends who listen to Future Primitive, today I'm on the phone with John Michael Greer. He's the past Grand Archdruid of the ancient order of Druids in America, current head of the Druidical Order of the Golden Dawn and the author of more than 30 books on a wide range of subjects, including peak oil and the future of industrial society. He lives in Cumberland, Maryland, in an old red brick mill town in the north-central Appalachians with his wife, Sarah. Today, I have in my hands his book, Mystery Teachings from the Living Earth, an Introduction to Spiritual Ecology. John Michael, if you want to add anything to what I said or change anything, you're welcome to.
1: (laughs) No, I think that covers it pretty much.
0: Oh, good. Well, uh, my first question to you would be, what in your... Mind and heart is spiritual ecology. Well,
1: this, that, that concept is really the seed of this book. What happened um, was, on the one hand, as you mentioned to our listeners, I've have a lot of study of Western esoteric traditions of various alternative sp- paths of alternative spirituality and so on down through the years, but i 've also done a lot of studying of scientific ecology, learning about um, how various living things fit together in nature, how they form ecosystems, and how the ecosystems come together to form the biosphere and The thing that I noticed is that these two apparently different branches of knowledge, the spiritual traditions the ecological sciences We're actually saying many of the same things. If you look at the way living things fit together in the fabric of nature and you look at the way that um, these spiritual traditions talk about how, you know, how human beings relate to the cosmos, they're saying the same thing. And so I, I decided to explore the idea that you could take the basic concepts of ecology and and use those as a guide to as a guide to living, as a guide to relating to the spiritual powers that shape our lives, and so on. And that's what this book came out of. So spiritual ecology: taking the principles of ecology, applying them to our own spiritual lives.
0: And John Michael, ha- have you always seen the connection? between the living earth and your spiritual traditions or your spiritual path
1: um, it's been I don't know always I don't I don't actually remember too well what kind of things I was thinking about spirituality at the age of three for example yeah. but <laughs> um, as far back as I can remember I have felt closer to to God, if you want to use that term, yes. to the spiritual realm. In in when I was outdoors in nature, than any other time. Certainly, much closer than if I was in a church or some other kind of building. Um, and so I, you know, I had an interest in that from dating from way back in my childhood. So it's always been a theme of my of kind of my own spiritual life.
0: You speak in your book about the fact that our um, our very well in my view, our very grave eco-crisis mm-hmm. comes from our misunderstanding and our neglect of the concept of wholeness. Mm-hmm. Could you expand on that? <laughs> I could talk about that all day.
1: Great. Um, <laughs> just the, the short form. Um, basically, most people in the modern industrial world think of themselves as somehow being outside of nature, being apart from the living world. I mean, nature is something you to a park to see nature. Human beings, you know, we have this fantasy that we're somehow different, special, set apart. And we're not. We're natural beings.
0: is the most powerful way to um, get across that I mean not only uh, we are nature, we are nature we are the same organic the same organic stuff as the tree outside mm-hmm. how to how to make that really a sensual awareness if I, if I had a
1: good answer to that, World would not be us in the mess <laughs> it's in. If I knew a way where I could just go fuck and make make somebody go, whoa! I'm actually natural. I, I mean, this, I, I'm part of the world. I,
0: I wish <laughs> your your book really um, your book really inspires that. Well, I,
2: I- that, that was the.
0: I mean I I was outside reading your book outside what? see outside reading your book and uh, and I felt more in communion with uh, with the pignons and uh, and the sky and so on.
1: Hey mm-hmm. I'm delighted to hear that that's that's what I was hoping to accomplish to because I mean a lot of people in today's in, in today's world are searching a lot of people don't feel satisfied with their lives they don't see, I mean whether whether they have lots of stuff or whether they 're hoping to get lots of stuff there 's all this this chasing after materials, material things and chasing after prestige and all this other crap and but people aren 't really satisfied by it they 're sitting there you know in the midst of their their big mansions with all this crud mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it doesn 't satisfy mm-hmm. and it never will and so one of the things is, so you get a lot of people going after going after very spiritual directions, but a lot of those end up getting onto this trip of no, 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 we're not part of nature, we're, we're going to rise up above this plane. Well, you know, let's learn from this plane first, and then we can talk about what we're going to do next.
0: That's it. That's, that's the fundamental thing for me. Spiritual is not separate.
1: Thank you. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: Thank <laughs> yeah, that's, you. That's nicely phrased. Yeah, exactly. Um People, so many people get it. Well, there's, this, there's been this... For about the last 3,000 years, there's been a certain theme in spirituality, um, in certain spiritual, most spiritual traditions have had it to one extent for another, you stop the world, I want to get off.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
1: you get certain kinds of certain kinds of Gnostic movements, you get a lot of the mainstream religions get fixated on this idea that this world doesn't matter, there's this this other place you're going to go after you're dead, and that's the only thing that matters all trying to turn their back on the fact that the world we live in is a spiritual phenomenon that the world we mm-hmm. live in has lessons for us to learn it has gifts mm-hmm. to offer us mm-hmm.
2: we need to engage with that and learn from it and grow
1: grow with it not run away from it and that's my take at least
2: yeah you know there's yeah.
1: and so there's there's this real strain in the spiritual traditions of the world over again the last about three thousand years, between the ones that want to bail out, the ones that are right. trying to try to find the exit hatch to reality right.
2: and those that are that are really grappling with
0: the fact that we're here for a reason. Yeah. Those of us who are planted. Yeah. Yeah. It, let's talk about this because we have to, because you you speak about it really well in your book the the matter of Creating our own reality. Mm. Yeah, I would love it if you would give us your, your that, take on that. That's,
1: that's, it's so frustrating in a way because they've got the, when, when people start, start talking about creating their own reality, they've actually got one end of a truth, but they've only got one end of it, and the other's sort of flapping around being completely ignored. Um, we, each of us does have a certain amount of capacity to shape our own reality. And in many ways, we lose track of that. So many people are stuck thinking that the, the world they've got, you know, the reality they've got, the life they've got, is just imposed on them, and they lose track of their own role in helping to create it. But that doesn't mean you can go to the, in, to the opposite extreme and say, um, I create my own reality right here and now. Everything is whatever I want it to be, um, that doesn't work. I, I mean, besides all the other problems with it, it just doesn't work. I, I remember painfully well, I was living on the West coast mm-hmm. and the secret Rhonda Burns, book, right. and it got oh Oh man, I, well, I, I was living in a town with a lot, with a lot of people who were interested in new age type things. And so people the everyone was reading the secret and what did they do? But go take that book and convince themselves that they we're going to get rich speculating in real estate right and my thought was okay you've got the spiritual teaching shouldn't you be doing something else with it besides trying to make lots of money well but apparently not so you have all of these people who plunged into the real estate market right as the market peaked and went down
2: yeah
1: it was really to you know, talk about instant karma they i don't think that's the reality the reality of bankruptcy and destitution is not the one they wanted to create but it's the one they our own reality to some extent, but to some extent, our reality creates us. Again, we're not separate. It's not just that we are the you know we are these creative beings, and all the world around us is an illusion we conjure into being. Again, wholeness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, mm-hmm. one of the, one of the things that I think got got missed here is that the the notion of you create your own reality that started out as an exercise. If you go back uh-huh. into in the nineteen twenties and so on, if you go back in some of the satiric literature in those days, what's... they'll introduce that concept and say, oh, go, try this for a month. Yes. And people, and it was a great thing, people would do that, and they'd come back a month later and say, wow, you know, I've had these amazing things happen, but then I tried to do this, I tried to get a Mercedes Benz to materialize in my driveway, and <laughs> it didn't even work. So, so what's up? And then, of course, the teacher would sit you down and say, okay, now that I've got your attention, we can talk about the difference." Ah. and the things that you can't necessarily control and how the different planes of reality work out or what's your ability to influence each of these, and it becomes a great learning tool. But unfortunately, what happened was that that exercise got pried loose from the broader system. People jumped on it and said, oh, I create my own reality, okay, I want to get rich, and it just went from there.
0: Right, well, how come some of these people uh, invested in real estate and uh, uh got bankrupt or and and the bankers and some of the bankers got a lot more money mm-hmm. what's the how, the how does that work in the law of law and balance um, well i think here the,
1: the you know the the Deep spiritual master we need to listen to is probably Ben Franklin. He had something to say about a fool and his money.
2: Uh (laughs) yeah.
1: Oh, he was—he was quite an initiate, but also a very practical man. Um, Yeah, I mean, and it's—it's—it's really embarrassing because this kind of thing cycles.
0: Yeah,
1: this kind of thing goes in cycles. I remember when everyone was getting whipped up around the whole December twenty first, twenty twelve. Right. Oh man. Yeah. Um yeah, a year before that happened I I, I posted something to my blog calling it Nothing Happened Today. And oh did I get <laughs> tantrums. Frenzied response. Of course, December twenty first, twenty twelve came around Camera, and Nothing.
0: Yeah. Happened. And we just mopped the floor.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was, on an, I was on another radio show that, that day, that, that, on, that, that very day, and we, we agreed we were going to call it Mayan Fool's Day.
0: That's great. <laughs> That's wonderful. But, but there again,
1: it's great that people are trying to envision uh-huh. a better world. But you then have to go and try to, if you're going to do, you have to actually put that into action. There are various ways to do that. But you can't just sit on your couch and wait for the universe to hand you utopia. It's not going to work.
2: Hmm. You've actually
1: got to roll up your sleeves, get to work on the various planes of being, and make it happen. And unfortunately, that's the place where there's so many people so many people who got it, caught up in the whole 2012 thing just kind of uh,
0: missed the boat. Right, right. So you've uh, taught in uh, several mystery schools. Mm-hmm. So the first part of my question would be perhaps tell us what a mystery school is. Mm-hmm. And the second part would be what, what have you learned by teaching?
1: Okay. The mystery schools, there's a lot of them. I think every human culture has at least one, and most most of societies have many of them. Mystery schools are uh, structures whereby people can be helped to come into contact with the deeper aspects of themselves and the deeper aspects of the cosmos. You, get it. you enroll in a mystery school, you're taught some basic spiritual practices and guided through the process of awakening your own capacities and of learning your own limits. And I know the world limit is one of those where people just go, oh, you can't, no, sorry, come on. Let's deal with the real world limits happen. Um, if you're sitting on a chair, that chair is limiting your capacity to fall to the floor. <laughs> yep. So limits can be a very good thing. Um, but so you learn... Learn the spiritual dimension of yourself. You go through initiation ceremonies. There's a lot of woo woo built up around that, but an initiation ceremony is basically a way of focusing your attention on certain aspects of of your experience you might not not otherwise notice using various fairly simple methods. And you go through this process of training. There, it's hard to be more specific than that because there are many different mystery schools, and they have very different curricula. Most of them will teach you um, some kind of system of meditation. Many of them will teach you some kind of system of divination, whether it's tarot cards or what have you, that will help you tap into your own intuitive capacities. And there's various other things that are taught. There may be physical exercise to balance the subtle dimensions of your body, and so on and so forth. But there are certain, pra- there are certain practices that you learn and you do them. And there are certain of philosophical studies that you engage in, and so on, and yeah, I've I've been involved in mm-hmm. a, a number of those mm-hmm. to one extent or another, and these days, I mean, what have I learned by teaching?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: one of the, well, of course, the first lesson is you know the old proverb: you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make it
2: drink. Well said. One one of the yeah. things that. that that teaching the mysteries teaches you is that you cannot
1: make someone wake up. You cannot make someone figure it out. It can't be done. So if somebody's ready for it, they're ready for it. If they're not, they're not, and there's nothing you can do. And so, to some extent, that's you know that that's 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 a good thing because it means that we've got a dimension of freedom in ourselves that mm-hmm. we. we we choose how we're going to face the universe Mm. now of course that means we can choose to face the universe in a completely dysfunctional fashion that makes us miserable makes everyone come into contact miserable but that's freedom freedom is the the ability to make mistakes and so beyond that you don't really know something until you've tried to teach it (laughs) and I emphasize tried because, especially in the early phase lot of what happens in the teaching process you figure out just how much you don't know yet Mm -hmm. so my my students have always been a major source of learning experiences for me sometimes not very pleasant ones but generally it's been pretty good but it's very much it when you take somebody else through a training process you get to see all the holes in your own training and that's that's useful because then it's time to go back and revisit those exercises and those philosophies yourself
0: Perhaps the um, ecological crisis, or in other words, some of us at least, and, and it's spreading, some of us realizing that um, there are limits to uh, to what the earth can give us. Perhaps that's really, really good because, and really what I'm bringing up is your um, is is tempting you to talk as much as you can about limits because I think that's really wonderful, and mm-hmm. so that perhaps uh, we've come to a sense of limits that um, that would be very good for us. I,
1: I, I think you're you're right, and it's a, you can you can very often tell the lesson that, that people most need to learn by finding out what lesson they most don't want to learn, uh-huh. and I think this is one of them. I, I was at a at an event once. Uh, this was would be about uh, 15 years ago, and so I was at this event, people in various spiritual traditions were there to talk and share a little bit about what they had to say about the earth, and so I decided, everyone had, I think, 10 minutes, and so I decided that I was going to talk about why limits are a good thing, Mm -hmm. and... I started talking. It was a pleasant, warm summer day, and I swear, the temperature inside that the pavilion where we were dropped for thirty degrees <laughs> by the time I said five words. It <laughs> <Everybody> was just, <laughs> but in fact, let, let's let's stop and parse this notion that that limits are bad, that all limits are, you know, you have to transcend all of your limits. Okay. Um, Let's start with an obvious, if slightly
2: gross mm-hmm. one.
1: We all have uh, various muscular structures in our bodies that limit the capacity of certain waste products to flow out of the body at any moment. Those limits are a good thing. We have a thing called the immune system, which limits the ability of, of you know, disease organisms to eat ourselves. Um, right. You know, we have bones which limit the capacity of our body to fall to the floor. Uh-huh. Chairs and things like that. Um, the skin, our skins, keep our blood from just puddling out <laughs> of the, the ground. All of these, we exist. We exist through our limits, and the problem is, of course, that, that so many people get caught up in self-imposed limits or dysfunctional limits they see themselves as more limited they are than they are in some ways they say well i can't do that i'm not talented or or what have you you know all these kinds of things and there it's always, it's always worth asking are you sure but what was a sensible lesson got picked up and taken way out of, out of context and turned to this idea that every limitation is bad and in fact to be honest un- if you get rid of all limits, you get rid of manifestation. A thing is manifest. A thing actually exists in any sense because it have limits has it has limits. You pick up a coffee cup, okay? Without limits, that's it's not there. And of course, if the coffee cup doesn't limit the capacity of the coffee to fall to pour into your lap, <laughs> you've got a problem. <laughs> so in fact, everything Everything that exists is in a state of balance between, the, between limits and the limitless. Limitation gives it its capacity to manifest. The limitless gives it its capacity to change and to flow. And there's that balance. And, you know, we're not very good at balancing in this culture. We, mm-hmm. get, we get this idea that everything has to be all one way or all the other, rather than in that gentle middle point where you're actually free to pivot in either direction. We get, and, and so we get this idea of, well, limits are bad. And you get this notion that um, more is always better. There was a gr great, somebody, I, don't, I have no idea who did this, but somebody stuck on a sign at a, a one of these big shopping malls that I passed once. I, I avoid those places when I get mm-hmm. But
0: they stuck us on this, this little bumper sticker thing on the sign, and it said, If you had enough, how would you know? (laughs) That's great. That's (laughs) just
2: great.
1: I mean, Americans are the first people in the history of the planet... To have so much stuff that we actually have to have an entire industry of storage lockers and storage facilities to give us places to put things we can't cram into our houses. Stuff,
0: yes. Nobody
1: stuff. else in human history has it. And we have bigger houses than anybody in history. Yes. Modern yes. American houses, they're, they're the size of, of, of palaces crammed to the bursting point with consumer crap. And, and yet we still want, there's this desperate scrabbling for more and more and more the last round didn't satisfy the round before that didn't satisfy sooner or later you'd think people would stop and say well this whole thing is just i'm running in a hamster wheel but they don't it's back out to the mall you've got to do more shopping sooner or later i'm going to get the product that makes me happy and well. you know, there's a lot of people who get very rich convincing people that they you know their happiness comes
0: yeah, George Carlin spoke about that. Oh, indeed. <laughs> very, very, very well. <laughs> that's
1: a good point. Is. Yes, another of our great ascended masters.
0: <laughs> the ascended master, beautiful. Exactly. ascended master
1: George Carlin.
2: You could lose <laughs> the serious wisdom
0: for that <laughs> no of question. So you, while you were talking, uh, I was... Because um, uh, this is so interesting, or uh, uh, all of it is, but the concept of limit. I was thinking about... Um, For me personally, when uh, I have experienced uh, with the medicines and taken uh, LSD or psilocybin or uh, these kinds of things, Mm -hmm. uh, I've had sometimes a hard time dealing with the fact that certain of these things open me up to a sense of limitlessness. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I would add uh, other times where I have not uh, had any uh, substance, uh, but I've had a a spiritual experience that took me into limitlessness. Mm -hmm. And I I, I always become afraid when that happens. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, that's also part of things. There's also,
1: again, we are all poised at that point of manifestation between limit and the limitless.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the, that, that's something you find in a lot of the old Greek mystical philosophies from ancient Greece. Pythagoras wrote at some length about the, the, the interaction between limit and the limitlessness. And limitless is the basic, the basic thing by which everything comes into being. And oh. quite right. But yeah, the, the, the limitless is also scary.
0: It's and like it, the it, point it, of orgasm.
1: Yeah, it, it can, you know, when, when that happens and your nervous system and the other person, person's nervous system for a moment become a one whole system, yeah, mm-hmm. you can get lost there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And having the courage to, to stand at that point of balance and not flee into limit and not flee into the limitless, but hold the two in balance together, that's, it's tricky, but it can
0: be done. But are we responsible uh, for uh, setting limits, even uh, I would say on on the spiritual plane?
1: Well, I mean, responsible. Uh, responsible is a complicated word. Yeah. Responsible yeah. to whom?
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, certainly, we all do set limits on the spiritual plane. Simply, we're finite beings. We try to imagine the infinite. We can't. And so we all limit ourselves in various ways, and we are all limited by things outside ourselves in some ways. We all have certain capacities for limitless in ourselves, and we are also dragged into the limit. I mean, all of us, all of us die. All of us
2: will be dragged out of our limits sooner or later. Yes, yes. And that's, of course, that's the limit that so many people are terrified of. I'm one of those.
1: who listened to this even if you're really if you're really young now and you live a really long time a hundred years from now you'll be gone
0: your body will disintegrate your
1: body your body is going to be you know what's the French phrase you're going to be chewing dandelion roots from the bottom end
0: I'm going to miss myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are times when I think that, and there are times when I look at myself and, you say, and think, you know, uh, by the time I get old with the, in this body and this personality, I'm going to be ready for a change.
0: <laughs> true, 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 true. So, John Michael, would you riff for us on the beauty of limits,
1: yeah, now, and that's that's something that's actually something that is becoming. that I've been doing a lot of thinking about recently because it's something that our culture misses. Our culture d- really doesn't grasp that the, the idea that beauty is what happens when a force when when a force flows into a limit. If you watch really anything, anything beautiful in nature, if you like, think think of a. Of a bird flying okay yeah. watch a bird soaring f- circling through the sky c- catching a thermal rising up it's gorgeous okay if the bird wasn't constrained by the by the wind by the thermals you wouldn't get those beautiful curves the fact that a blade of grass bending in the wind makes this gorgeous curve it's because the grass is limiting the flow of the wind. The wind is limiting what the grass is have to stand upright. There's an entire book um, called The Power of Limits by Georgi Doshi. And um, it's, it's a Hungarian name, so don't try to spell it. Just look up the, um, the thing. It's been around for a while. But he talks about what he calls
2: "dynergy," which is the relationship
1: between force and limit that creates beauty. uh uh-huh. And you can, wherever beauty happens, you can see it because you can see that in process. You can see how a force is being channeled by some series of limits. And it becomes beautiful precisely because of what it does within those limits. It's, the, the reason that a lot of older poetry is, frankly, so much better than a lot of the current stuff mm-hmm. is that older poetry people used poetic forms. You, had, you wrote a sonnet. Right, right. Okay, a sonnet's an. an the initial set of eight lines, you've got the follow on set of six lines. There are certain rhyme schemes that you use.
0: Limits and discipline. Is there a relationship between limits and.
1: Yeah. Any form of discipline is a voluntarily accepted limit. This is true of spiritual disciplines. There is nothing more boring in the world than getting up in the morning and sitting down for half an hour of meditation every day. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if if any of our listeners doubt that, hey, discipline is, is involved in the meditation it's incredibly limited by accepting those limits you achieve things that you would not achieve in any other way so in a sense you know
0: question a lot of people speak about uh, turning energy into matter
2: mm-hmm.
0: but you mentioned turning matter into energy
1: we do it all the time <laughs> okay <laughs> um you eat a sandwich the sandwiches matter you feel bouncy and energetic. Right, okay. You just turn matter into energy.
2: <laughs> right, okay.
1: Matter, as as Einstein showed us a very long time ago, matter and energy are two forms of the same thing.
2: Uh-huh. One of
1: them's flowing, one of them's temporarily you know, stable and, and fixed. And there's this, con- in every possible way, there's this constant back and forth between matter and energy. And so... This fixation on materializing.
2: Uh-huh, exactly.
1: This fixation on you know it's it's part of the, we want stuff, and it, it, it's it's really funny because so many people who are fixated on you know I'm going to transcend limits, but I'm going to fixate all these things in matter, <laughs> making limits. <laughs> I mean, if your house is so full of consumer stuff that you can hardly get around, that's a limit. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, so in a lot of cases, the problem is, in, in, especially in modern spirituality, but not just there, the problem comes in when people try to do things all one way and none of the other.
0: John Michael, uh, what is magic?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can quote you the, te- the technical definition that Dion Fortune used to use. Um, she was one of the great magical theorists and practitioners of the 20th century. And she said that magic is the art and science of causing change in consciousness
0: in accordance with will.
2: Oh, beautiful. It's a great definition. Ever since I read
1: that, I was going, Belong to a certain generation will probably recall what was meant by the term contact high. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We get one person who is lying very high on certain illegal chemicals and they walk into a room and everyone else starts to feel slightly hallucinatory. (laughs) It's very efficient. You know, again, if you were there you know how that works. But the same thing happens all the time. Um, One angry, miserable, hateful person can curdle the emotions of an entire crowd. One balanced, happy, loving person can radiate that, you know, and fill a room and make everybody feel at least a little bit better. We all, we share, we share a common life, we share a common stratum of consciousness. And so when you're talking change in consciousness, you're not just talking about your own consciousness, nor are you just talking about the consciousness of other human beings. Because, again, this is, this is a continuum. And so things that you do to shape your own consciousness in, in constructive ways radiate out from you. Equally, when you, when you fixate your consciousness on making lots of money in the real estate business, you help feed the same kind of, you know, mm-hmm. stampede toward bankruptcy that we saw back in 2008. Right. So... So magic is, is what this means, of course, is that we all practice magic all the time. But people study magic because they want to do it consciously, because they want to do it competently, and they want to do it in a way that gets them what they want out of life rather than constantly frustrating themselves. That's what magic teaches you to do, just how do you get
0: to get in there and stop those obsessions. They
1: symbols. They speak the language of dream, and so when you practice magic, what you're doing is using emotionally charged symbols and psychodrama, symbolic action, various techniques that, that get down below that surface of, of, of the below the waves into the currents and change things on that level. And symbols do it. The kind of the kind of stuff that Carl Jung talked about in terms of archetypes, mm-hmm. those have the power to reach down into the depths of the mind and change things. And so, you know, this is my, my, the classic example here is love magic. Okay, if you if you if you practice magic, you will hear from people who you know they've had the fifty-seven failed relationships. They all feel the same way, by the way. And they're convinced that you can give them the love potion number nine and everything will be fine. Now, there is actually an extreme, there is a absolutely universally effective love spell. It, it consists of making yourself more lovable.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, That's all you have to
1: do. Uh-huh. But that's the one thing nobody <laughs> wants to do because there are everyone, when somebody comes to you like this, they're all going, you know, there's, this, there's some kind of curse on me. It can't be me sorry, guy, it's you. <laughs> and, and sometimes, you can, sometimes you, can, you can figure that out. You can figure it out consciously. Sometimes you have to go through these ritual processes to pull up whatever it is, whether it is a conviction on their part that they don't deserve to be loved, whether it's a conviction on their part that they deserve to be loved and everyone you know, darn well ought to be out there loving them, um, whether, you know, there's all kinds of things that can get in the way. But you can use these ritual processes and certain other things to kind of bring these things to the surface. And then the person goes, oh, crap, I guess I messed up, didn't I? And then you can say, okay, now s- so do something different. And that's when change becomes possible. When you've made, when you've either when you've made things conscious, or when you've done these ritual processes that move patterns, mm-hmm. potential patterns down to the
2: deep mm-hmm. places of
1: the mind, and they suddenly stop stop acting like jerks when they're around,
0: the universe. You know, so, <laughs> <get down> <laughs> that's that's nice and simple. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, it's simple, but simple is not. Not complicated. Thing yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. John Michael, would you talk to us about other planes of consciousness that you have visited?
1: Here here again, we all experience other planes of consciousness all the time. It's just that our culture is fixated on the material level, is so obsessed with it. that I mean, we teach our children when they're growing up, the child says that they experienced something that wasn't material. You're just imagining it, and you, you crush them. This happens to kids over and over again. In most cultures, they don't do that. And so you get people who actually notice things. Right now, okay, you know, our listeners, as they said, they're, they're conscious of the material plane. Okay, great. They're also conscious on a slightly le- less um, direct level, although if they pay attention to it, they will, on what they're feeling. Okay, they're conscious of the sort of Im- mean when you say one plus one equals two? Everybody who who has a basic grasp of math knows that that's true, and they know it in a way that they don't have to think through it. You can see instantly, yes, one plus one equals two, okay? If you set the words aside, that knowledge is actually another realm of being. That's the mental plane. Mm
2: -hmm. That's the
1: plane of, 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 of the intellect. We, we bring that's a plane that a lot of people have to work at reaching and it usually doesn't really start coming in until sometime that, that consciousness doesn't really start f- becoming focused until the teen years or maybe or in some cases later but it's there and it's distinct from sort of thinking through the words the thoughts the forms which are, which are astral in nature So you, in fact you can often see what happens if you taught somebody something they wrote one plus one equals two one, plus one Oh that's what it means you just shift to the mental level and then above that is the spiritual level which is the level where all things are one when you experience that moment that moment where all limits dissolve where you dissolve where there is only one thing and you're part of it that's that's an experience of the spiritual level and all of these things are available to us at every moment we live in all of them we live in all these worlds now the way that I've that I've divided them up that's simply Convenient way of talking about them. Mm-hmm. Different traditions divided into three, divided into seven, divided into I don't know how many. Um, talk to an old fashioned theosophist and you'll get a map that goes on for weeks. Uh, And you don't get in the traffic wreck. That's you know one of the things that magic can do for you.
0: So, in a sense, when you when you leave five minutes later for some reason and you're not on the, that accident mm-hmm. on the freeway, you're practicing magic. You're
1: practicing magic, yeah. And a lot of the training of the mystery schools aims at making that kind of magic conscious. So that I mean, that's why that's what you're doing with the tarot cards or, or whatever else you're, you're using. Mm-hmm. You're learning to use your intuition to tap into those other planes of being. You've got a physical anchor, which makes it easy for you to concentrate. But if you watch somebody who's really good with tarot cards or with any kind of with the I Ching, with any of the divinatory oracles, they're not looking up answers in a book. They lay out the cards or what have you, and they go, "Oh, I know it's going to happen," and they're right. Mm-hmm. And so got that intuitive capacity that works through the tools and developing the, the intuitive capacity is the point of the tools eventually you reach a point you don't need the cards you may continue to use them you may enjoy them but you don't need them you're just you know you're out for a walk and all of a sudden you know you need to go down the street and you need to get down there fast <laughs> the you do it <laughs> or you just know okay i need to go I, I need to go to the library. Why do I need to? I need to go to the library. And you go to the library, and as you're walking, there, you meet someone. And so things go spinning away from there.
0: The wider the awareness, the more practical your life becomes. Exactly. exactly. It's the contrary of what people think.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, it's very much as though you get... You, you get to see more of the world. Beautiful. It's as, you know, it's as though most people were very, very short-sighted. You know, they could only see everything that was more than about a foot in front of their nose. It's just, it's just a shape of blurs of color. And in the process of training in mystery schools, you get introduced to these things called eyeglasses. And they're complex, and they're a little fussy, and you have to learn how to use them and when to put them on and when to take them off. But gradually you notice that when you put the eyeglasses on, all of a sudden you can see things a long ways away, and nobody else can. And everyone else is going, why are you putting those silly things on? There's Mm -hmm. some some kind of blurry Mm -hmm. thing on your face. Mm -hmm. That's got to be really uncomfortable and awkward and totally unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Whereas you're looking around and seeing everyone's faces clearly for the first time.
0: It seems like the most... uh People are tourists mm. when uh, all of us are really indigenous.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of us want to be. A lot of people want to be tourists <laughs> because the tourist is going. The tourist doesn't have to be involved.
2: Oh, he doesn't I see.
1: Have to care, and I so the see. tourist can dump the garbage out of the car and drive away and think that you know he doesn't have to deal with the consequences. <sighs>
0: Well, I'd like to ask you this in closing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What is the most practical thing you think and feel we can do to be more awake?
1: Right now, with the ecological crisis that we're in, I would say the most useful thing that any of our listeners can do right now is to, find, is to choose one thing, just one, that will lessen the burden that they place on the biosphere. Do it and keep doing it for a year. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, yeah, you can do a lot more, but let's start with one thing. Let's start with something that actually does something, whether it's um, making it a habit to turn off any light you don't use, whether it's not buying the chemical cleaners at the grocery store but using natural cleansers instead that don't dump poison into the water supplies, whether it's walking three blocks to the grocery store instead of driving those three blocks, or what have you. Just make a choice. Choose something and do it, and that 's actually a powerful tool for awakening because when you do something that isn 't it isn 't a habit it isn 't an automatic thing it isn 't something that your culture is telling you to do you 're stepping outside of the sort of, of of the state of sleep of the state of sort of blundering through the things automatically in which most people spend their lives, and so that process of actually Choosing to do something and doing it opens up immense possibilities of, of, of awareness and change. And once you learn for a fact that you can change your life, you don't have to wait for, you know, the, for the Space Brothers to land or what have you. Um, you don't have to wait for Jesus to show up. You can change your life right now. Once you learn that, you've learned one of the great secrets of magic. Then all you have to do is decide what you're going to do and
0: do it. Mm. thank you so much for being with us today John Michael Greer Uh, I had a great time
1: I have very much enjoyed our conversation (laughs) thank you very much for having me on
0: good